Hi, and welcome to the RCH Kids Health Info Podcast, the podcast for parents about common child health concerns. I'm Dr. Margie Danshan, paediatrician and your host for today, and I'm joined by co-host and good friend, Dr. Anthea Rhodes. Good morning, Margie. So this episode, we're going to be talking about unsettled babies and how we can best support mums, particularly new mums and families, to deal with crying and unsettled infants. If you've had that experience where you're holding onto a baby and the crying just won't stop, then keep listening because we've got a great expert coming up to give you some tips on what you can do to help. From the Royal Children's Hospital Melbourne, this is the Kids Health Info Podcast. So, Anth, we both have four kids and um, we know that it can be very challenging in those first few months when you've got a crying and unsettled baby. And I know me personally as a paediatrician sort of felt like I should know what to do, but I didn't always know what to do. Absolutely, Margie. And as you know, my my youngest baby is not quite one, turning one next week, actually. So this is a reasonably recent memory for me. And I think it's important to reflect on the fact that it doesn't necessarily get easier either. Even fourth time round, the baby still cries and those moments can be so trying. And it's at a time where you're so exhausted. You're doing those night feeds, you're getting up, um, you may be wrangling other kids. Absolutely. And it's just so hard at times to know, is this normal? Is it okay? Or should I be worried about something else going on? So look, today we are really fortunate. We have Associate Professor Valerie Sung, who's a paediatrician here at RCH, and she actually works in our Unsettled Babies Clinic, and she's done a PhD on this topic. So welcome, Val. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So let's talk about what we actually mean by an unsettled baby. Can you talk us through that? Well, I guess the simple explanation or definition is a baby who cries a lot, Um, a baby who fusses and cries so much that it's really, really hard to settle. There are lots of medical terminology and definitions, but I think they're mostly not very helpful. But the typical baby who's unsettled will cry a lot from about two weeks, get worse over time, probably peak at about six to eight weeks, as Margie says. Then the crying usually gets a little bit better beyond four months. And usually these babies are so hard to settle that nothing works. So parents are absolutely exhausted and you know, desperate to find something that works for their baby. Um, and these babies also have very unexpected times when they may cry. Mm. And those crying could, you know, episodes could be really prolonged. It's they often worse be... in the evening though, isn't it? That sort Correct. of late afternoon, uh, yeah. early evening. I guess yeah. people call it the witching hour, don't they? Yeah. So um, it's, you know, parents are just carrying them all the time. They can't put them down. And why does this happen, Val? So it's really interesting, I think, when you explain that it, it gets worse, if you like, over those first few weeks of life before things will turn around and start to improve. And what's happening there with the baby developmentally? Well, I think there are many um, different reasons that have been looked at. Probably one of the most um, plausible reasons is the, as you say, the baby's development. So they're just becoming more switched on, more aware of their environment by six to eight weeks. But at the same time, they haven't quite learned how to soothe or regulate themselves yet. So I often tell parents, in fact, that's something not, that not many babies are born to be able to do. Yeah. They need to learn to do that. And with time, they are able to learn to do that. And that's why that crying peak comes down. And I think at the peak of that crying time is when they're so aware of everything around them. 
including what's happening inside the bodies. So, for example, a baby who's feeding, they set up a whole cascade of events inside their bodies. Their bowels start moving, the gas starts moving, everything starts working. And the baby's going, hang on, what's going on? I don't know what to do with this. And the baby's crying is actually the way of communication. So if you can stand back and think about crying as the baby's way of trying to tell you something because they can't use words, they're trying to tell the parent, help, I need some help to manage these feelings Mm because I don't know what to do with them. And parents often say it's interesting that you mention the gut because I think really frequently you can see that as a parent. You mm. watch the baby, they might pull their legs up or yep. they look distressed and often we think, oh, it's something in the tummy. And when parents come in to the emergency department or to the clinic worried about their baby and the distress and the yep. crying that they're observing, they often say, I'm sure there's something wrong with the belly. Yeah, absolutely. And there's actually a uh, very kind of um, popular website called Purple Website developed by Dr. Ron Barr, who I've worked with. And the purple stands for the peak of crying at about um, six to eight weeks, unexpected crying. Um, And R stands for resist soothing, Mm. P for pain-like face. So as you're saying, they drop their legs, they go red in the face, they arch their backs, they look like they're in pain. But in fact, no one's ever been able to really prove that. And I think many parents are worried about pain. But if you are able to pick the baby up and the baby can will stop or settle, that's unlikely going to be pain. Or if the baby is able to sleep through the night, that's unlikely going to be pain. But the L is for long lasting. So, you know, sometimes on and on and on. three, four, five hours a day. Um, and occurring more more in the evenings for E. And I just want to pick up on one other thing you mentioned there, Val, which was that in those first couple of weeks, often these signs aren't there because the baby hasn't developed that ability to perhaps respond or communicate their distress. Mm -hmm. And so I find that often parents will say, oh, I've got a sleeper. So they get home and the first week or even two weeks isn't too bad. The baby's sort of asleep all the time. Almost too sleepy sometimes. Sometimes they're not waking enough to feed and that can be a whole other battle. But um, they might appear to be really settled and everyone, including the extended family, can be sort of celebrating going, oh, great, we've got a sleeper. And then comes week three and week four and things actually start to look really different. Exactly. And um, I think a lot of these babies are very easily switched on. They're just really sensitive to everything. And once they start crying, they can't switch off. Um, So they just need a lot of help. And Val, what would you say about the different types of cries? Like you were talking about pain before. Mm -hmm. Do you think that there is a real difference in in the sort of type of crying that you're talking about prolonged as opposed to that real painful cry? No, I don't think so. So, um, you know, all babies will cry differently. And if you think about an angry baby crying, that might sound like pain as well. So um, a frustrated baby crying could also sound like a pain kind of cry. So I don't think the quality of cry really makes a big difference. Although, of course, some parents will be worried. And that's when, you know, something needs to be done. And you need to seek help. Well, that's sort of why I asked, really, because Mm. it is really hard to tell, especially Mm. as a new mum, if there is something going on that the parent should be worried about you know Mm. is it just this prolonged crying unsettled the baby needs soothing or should they be worried about some underlying medical causes well underlying medical causes are first of all very rare 
probably less than 5% of the babies we see, but it is really worthwhile going to check it out because then you feel much better with how you manage the baby and you know that there's nothing wrong going on. But there are a few things um, when you go to your GP, for example, that can be excluded. For example, cow's milk protein allergy is one of the causes that we want to make sure the baby doesn't have. But these babies usually have other problems. They usually have a lot of problems with feeding and they don't like feeding very much. They usually have a lot of vomiting. They may have blood or mucus in their poos. Um, and they may have other signs like um, eczema or rashes. So I think if that's you know the case, then it's really worthwhile going to the doctor. And there are things that can be done about that. And very often mums come um, to see us and they have already excluded cow's milk from their diet if Mm. they're breastfeeding or changed formulas multiple times, which is something that I think we'll talk about in a little bit. But what about reflux, Val? Because that is another really common Mm. condition. Absolutely. And I think it's a very loosely used term and a lot of misconceptions, I think, about whether reflux causes crying. In fact, I think normal reflux is just vomiting or positing, and that's with all babies who are newborns, and that's not abnormal as long as you know the baby's gaining weight. Yes. Um, but there are very rare situations where we call the, it reflux esophagitis, where there's inflammation in the gut, and usually it's secondary to another problem like cow's milk protein allergy. So I guess if someone's brought up that term reflux is mm. worthwhile thinking through what they mean by that. And sometimes parents will use the term silent reflux. So I'm sure you've heard about that in yeah. your practice and Marky would have too. What is that? Yeah, a lot of parents describe it as, oh, I can hear the you know regurgitation coming up, but Sloshing nothing around, comes up. Yeah. And then the baby cries. And I think, think back to the baby's feeling of, oh, there's something coming. I don't know what to do with it. Help me, help me. Um, but we know from lots of scientific studies now that um, that you know if you're not vomiting, you're very unlikely to have inflammation in your esophagus or your food part that causes what we call reflux esophagitis. So I think that's quite rare. And Val, I always say to mums, you know, babies are on a pure liquid diet. All they are, all they're having is milk. Mm. They're drinking milk. And some babies have that effortless reflux where the milk will come up and they spill, but they're not bothered by it. They're thriving. They're gaining weight. So there is that real spectrum, isn't there? Yeah. Um, and as you say, if the baby is very, very distressed or perhaps not gaining weight or there are other feeding issues, that's maybe a bit of a red flag that we need to think a bit harder about what else might be going on. That's right. I think. I mean, the main thing is if they're feeding well and growing well, developing well, then it's very unlikely there's something wrong. Even if you're walking around with a nice sort of milk spill constantly on your shoulder, which I was doing again earlier this year for many months. My number four was definitely a chucker. Number one and number four. The other two hardly, you know, vomited at all. I think vomiting is more of a distress for us, isn't it? I I keep (laughs) saying that they must take after dad on that front. Well, let's now talk about what to do. What are the things that work? How do you approach um, this baby when the mum comes through the door to clinic? Yeah, well, the first thing is if you're worried, go and see a doctor or a GP. 
so that something you know wrong can be excluded for you. Um, and once you're happy with that, then know that you're not alone. So you know, crying is really common. Happens in one in five babies. So there are a lot of parents out there facing exactly that same issue. The second is to know that you're actually doing a great job if your baby is growing and developing and starting to smile and make milestones, because you often forget all the hard work you're doing and you're very focused with what is wrong and why is my baby crying. So thinking through, my baby is trying to communicate with me and the best thing to do for the baby is to calm the baby down in whatever way suits you and the baby. So everyone's going to give you very different advice. Well, that's what I was going to say. So much differing advice and everyone's an expert, especially, you know, grandparents. It can be so overwhelming, can't it, for the mum? Absolutely. And the thing to remember is to go with what works for you and the baby. Go with what your gut feeling is because you're the parent and you know what's best and what works best because not every single settling technique is going to work for every single baby. Um, so the first thing is, you know, settle a baby however way you think will work and know that this will pass. I know it's hard to think about it, you know, when you're in the middle of it to see the silver lining at the end, but there is a silver lining at the end because it does pass when the baby is growing up and being able to settle better. When you mentioned earlier, Val, that this typically kind of has passed by around four months of age or 16 weeks. I know when I've talked with families about this as well, and they might be at week four, five or six of this journey, and they just think, 16 weeks? My (laughs) God, that's so far away. How am I going to get that far? You know, how am I going to get through it? What sort of advice would you have for mums listening who might feel like that? Well, the first of all is to be open to support. So um, a lot of us will feel, no, I'm in control. I know what I'm doing. I'm going to be fine. But this is not the time to be really stoic about these things, I think. You just need to let go and accept people's help if there is help there. And, you know, it takes a village to raise a child, right? So you really need to accept that help. Let go of the washing, let go of the uh, tidying up, let the house go in a mess. It's just transient. Yes. Get a cleaner if, if you can. And it's not forever. Um, and obviously having a very supportive network is helpful. Um, having a supportive partner is helpful. Yeah. Um, and the other thing is knowing what to do when you feel frustrated because yeah. we all go through that. But if you or feel, sometimes mums feel like they could hurt the baby, yeah, that they absolutely. may lash out out of frustration, which yeah. is, you know, actually a completely understandable emotion. Ex- absolutely. And the main thing is to know, know what to do when you have those feelings. Yes. Acknowledge they are not abnormal, but that you do have a mechanism to stop yourself, take a break, put the baby down somewhere safe and that you can walk away and let the baby be in a safe place and call someone. um, I have to say I distinctly remember doing that at that eight-week mark I mentioned with my first Mm -hmm. and I remember just being so exhausted and so upset and frustrated. I put him in his cot, he was still screaming and I just shut the door and I just made myself a cup of tea and I just tried to breathe. And And have a cry. Had a cry and I called my mum and I said, Mum, I need you to come over. I just, I can't go in there. Mm. It's too much. Yeah. But, you know, just being able to, it was so overwhelming. I remember it very clearly. And I think the other thing 
thing is to know that you can't spoil a baby in the first three or four months. You know, a lot of parents feel really guilty. It's like, oh, I don't want to pick them up straight away. Well, that's not right because your ba- when your baby's crying, they need your help. So you do need to respond to that crying. You need to pick the baby up. If it means carrying the baby the whole day, it's unfortunately carrying the baby the whole day. And it often is very helpful to have another pair of hands or have a sling or a baby carrier. It's just so that, you know, you can keep going. Um, That's so important, I think, Val, to mention that idea that you can't spoil a baby mm-hmm. because people do feel, mums feel really guilty. They're often getting a lot of advice or opinions mm-hmm. from extended family or friends that the difficult behaviour they might have in their baby is somehow their fault, that they've created it, you know, that if they weren't picking them up every time they cried, this all wouldn't have happened. Yeah, no, like babies at this age don't have that capacity to be spoiled when they're a bit older, maybe. (laughs) So um, when they're, you know, four or five to six months, they start to, you know, know, oh, well, when mum's gone, I can call them back and cry and get them back. But at three or four months, in the first few months, they really can't do that. The problem is, though, of course, when you are in survival mode and doing anything to sort of settle the baby is you do get those other sleeping and feeding issues that arise, or Mm -hmm. they may be there anyway, Mm -hmm. but um, it's important to try and manage them as well, isn't it, Val? Yeah, Particularly so maybe start with feeding. Yeah, I think the first thing to think through is that if the baby's feeding well during the night, that's actually quite a good, you know, thing because... If there's something wrong, then they're usually not going to be feeding well during the night. And usually the babies who are really switched on and awake during the day have a bit more difficulties feeding. And also think about every time the baby feeds, it sets off this cascade of events in the body. And so the baby's perception of those feelings is like they're, you know, irritable and they're fussy. So think about, you know, feeding fussiness may not necessarily mean something is wrong. The other thing to think through is to try and set a rhythm to the feeding. So there are, of course, times when you have to feed the baby a lot. You know, we call that cluster feeding, I guess. And that often happens sort of in the early evening, doesn't it? Yeah, that's right. But in general, if you can give the baby a break in between feeds, that's, you know, helps them settle their gut and helps them settle themselves. And it also helps with the circadian rhythm, which is, you know, the um, sleep feed kind of cycles in the body because if you're feeding you know at any time all the place then it can become you know very I guess um, confusing for the baby so trying to have a time period where maybe two to three hours I mean depends on the baby's age the older they are the longer you can you know go with not feeding for too long and just making sure that the baby is hungry before they feed because um, sometimes what happens is the baby's not actually really hungry and then they start crying and in fact the baby's trying to tell you actually I'm not that hungry mum or dad. And also of course yeah. it's another source of exhaustion for yeah. the mum if she's feeding every hour mm. it's completely exhausting yeah, and you absolutely. know so stretching those feeds out a little bit also helps the mum have a chance to recover yeah absolutely yeah it can set up a bit of a cycle if you are exhausted as well where your supply might go down if you're breastfeeding and then the baby isn't as full and they might be more inclined to cry more and it all goes round and round so mm. reaching out for help maternal child health nurses obviously are incredibly important mm-hmm. for those early weeks to help parents set a good routine yeah. um, or rhythm, as you called it, Val, which is, I think, a really nice way to describe that pattern of feeding, sleep 
and awake time. Yep. Tell us about the settling techniques that you discuss most commonly with mums. Yeah, so if you imagine the baby has just come out of the womb and they've been there for nine months, what is what are the things that they've been used to for nine months? They're, you know, feeling secure, so, you know, wrapping or f- holding close to you, so um, knowing your voice. Um, movement definitely helps, so um, that's why lots of babies just need that walking and, you know, carrying and some babies... Settle in the pram, which oh, would be car. nice, but you know, the car, you know, go the for a car. drive. I've seen families in clinic who are driving hours every day around and around in oh the my car. Goodness. Yeah, it's a bit that tricky when sleep. you're sleep deprived. I can totally remember my husband driving um, our firstborn to Frankston and back in yeah. the middle of the night. I handed him to him at like 2 a.m. and I said, I'm, I'm done. I'm yeah, out. the minute when and you're at the light and it stops, you go, Oh, no, no, instead up. of bunny hopping in the yeah. car, hoping they'll stay asleep and thinking this is more dangerous than anything helpful. <laughs> yes, but certainly you know, movement does help. And the other, you know, people talk about is white noise. And I guess that's a reflection of what the baby was hearing inside the womb. And there's a lot of devices now to do that. So Maggie, (laughs) having had a good, you know, 12 years between first and last baby, things have come a long way, I can say. And lots of mums listening out there will probably roll their eyes that this is news to me. But you can get white noise devices that, um, you know, you can have really easily with you in the pram that you can click on and off. They have a timer. A girlfriend gave me one when I had my most recent baby and it was actually really handy for those first few months. So yeah. wherever you are, you can turn it on. Just, so just be so careful of the volume of the white <laughs> well, noise. <laughs> well, maybe and we better just say what white noise is. Like, yeah. What is it? Well, just, if you go out to a restaurant and it's, you know, a noisy environment, that's kind of white noise, isn't it? Background, non-descript. Background, non, yeah. So is it like music? Is it like crickets chirping or like what? what Look, is it? I think we had a sort of oceanic vibe to the one that okay. I've got. But like a breeze. You can get ocean. a cafe version. There's also a lot of apps and you can yeah. get all of these things now on your Google Home or your phone. It's and just a really constant background noise. That yeah. I think has a little bit of variation in it though. So mm. it's supposed to replicate what might have been heard by the baby in the womb, which is actually, you can in fact get womb noises, I think, recordings <laughs> have been made. <laughs> But the main thing to remember is not to do everything at once. So um, often some of these babies just get too overstimulated when you do everything at the same time. So try and do, you know, one or two things at a time for a few minutes before you kind of go on to the next thing. I remember finding um, the description of the feed, play, sleep cycle really helpful, mm. maybe because I like a bit of routine and I was trying to get some order into the chaos in those yep. first few weeks. But just understanding that, you know, you give the baby a feed and then you give them a chance to lie on the mat and have a little play, not get overtired and then try to settle them. Whereas at night, you just kind of do feed sleep. You don't have the play part. Yeah. I mean, that is the kind of ideal situation, but it doesn't Doesn't always always work, especially, you know, unsettled babies who have very short sleeps. You know, by the time you've just had 20 minutes nap, you know, you can't really do that. doing it again. That's right. Um, So I think when people talk about routine, it's really just some same expectations for the baby every time you go to sleep. Not We're not talking about time. We're not talking about when to put them down. We're talking about, you know, the baby has to anticipate 
I guess, the same things every time they go to sleep. So if you can replicate that same environment, the same things, that's really the routine we're talking about. And the feed play sleep is really aiming not to kind of feed to sleep because what happens is when you're tired and you go for a feed, you're, you know, obviously more likely to just fall asleep on the breast. And I guess that's something that can be a little bit hard to undo later on down the tract. And, you know, I think we... We we do know that some babies, if they're really hard to settle, you have to do everything you can to get them to sleep. Yeah. And eventually, when they're older, they will pick up on that, and then you know they do get into that sleep associations problem, where they wake up a lot during the night because whenever they go into light sleep, they need. Thing that settled them in the first mm. place, and they can't go back to sleep. I, I must say, Val, I did get into a bit of a pickle with a dummy in that way. Except that the dummy was the savior for me mm. in the first few months, and I was like in survival mode. Absolutely. Um, so obviously, when I was settling him to sleep, I would give him the dummy. But then, around about six, seven, eight months, I was having to go in and put the dummy back in because he wouldn't go to sleep without it, and he couldn't find it. And then I ended up taking it away, and we did a few nights of controlled comforting. Yeah. Um, when he was a bit older. But I look back now and I don't regret using the dummy early Mm. on because it honestly was my saviour. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you need to do whatever you can and whatever works. And if it means you're, you know, putting the baby to sleep with a lot of help, that's fine. That's okay because we can help you undo those later on down the track if you want. People talk about sleep schools. Actually, that's a term that I really don't like very much because it sounds like you're going into school and you're going to graduate and if you don't then you know something's wrong and you failed and that's terrible I think but they are I guess facilities or parenting centers that can help you or give you a hand with helping the baby self-settle a little bit later on the track and I would suggest you know really beyond that six-month mark. I must say one thing I remember finding very helpful was that rhythmic patting um, Mm. on his side in the cot that actually did work and I know Mm. it doesn't work for all infants. Are there any other settling techniques that we haven't touched on, do you think? Yeah, I think um, on your point, Margie, is to remember settling to sleep is different from settling to from crying. So separating crying from sleep, because when the baby's crying, you can't settle them to sleep. You need to calm the baby down to a very calm stage before you try to settle the baby to sleep. If you can make that distinction, then it's a little bit it easier. Yeah. yeah. All right, well, maybe let's touch on just briefly what doesn't work well there's a lot out there isn't there marky <laughs> when you go to the uh, you know chemist there'll be a lot of different things it's big yeah. business yeah. you know trying to sell things that will well get let's babies talk to about sleep. the colic mixture well they don't work unfortunately so you know the typical one is the degassing medications like infocol like it's simethicone that's actually been shown in trials that even if we hear the baby fart a lot and it you know helps us feel the gases coming out it actually doesn't help with the crying so that actually doesn't work there's also the anti reflux medications that you know often are prescribed and we now know from lots of scientific trials that they actually don't work so um, and they're supposed to work by reducing or they do work by reducing acid in the stomach but that doesn't necessarily affect the crying right correct yeah and some of that research we now know about these medicines that that show us they don't work yeah 
obviously wasn't around, you know, perhaps 30 years ago when many mums own mothers Mm -hmm. might have had an unsettled baby and had some of these medicines. So I think what I've seen in, in my clinic is often grandparents feel like that was the magic cure for them with their baby back in the day mm. and they really feel that it might be a th- something that you know their daughter and the yeah. baby and needs and the other now. thing is often people say it works because they started at the peak of the crying and if you think about that crying it's curve coming down anyway. it gets better anyway so a lot of these medications have been thought to work because it was started at the peak of the crying What about the microbiome or probiotics? Mm. There's Mm. lots of chat nowadays. It's great that there's online mums groups and support um, chat rooms and things. And I know this topic comes up a lot there. Yeah. In fact, there is one particular strain of probiotic that's been shown to be maybe helpful for breastfed infants only, but not for formula fed infants. In fact, that was what I uh, examined in my PhD, looking at this particular probiotic. In Melbourne, unfortunately, it didn't help the babies, um, but overseas it has been shown to help some babies who are breastfed. So I'd say that um, if you really needed to try something and your baby was exclusively breastfed and your baby is less than, you know, 12 weeks old, then yes, maybe that could be an option to try. Um, But knowing that, you know, after a period of time, you should really stop it. Usually the trials have looked at going for four weeks so you know after four weeks and especially if it hasn't worked then it's worthwhile just stopping. Are there any downsides to trying that Val? No well they're not harmful so um, they're known to be safe but I guess with everything that you try try it for a defined period of time and that includes you know excluding dairy from your diet you know don't leave yourself off the diet you know for dairy for forever and also mums who are off dairy need to remember they need to be on some calcium Calcium. supplements yeah yeah and also I sometimes get concerned when mums exclude too many foods so you know they might start excluding dairy or soy but then suddenly they find they're excluding all sorts of nut all nuts and fish and and it can become quite extreme that's right there's not much scientific evidence for the other foods the main evidence is with dairy and soy and as we mentioned before they're for babies who have other symptoms you know apart from crying and lastly Val what about sedatives some mums think about you know things like phenergan or antihistamines or Mm. you know when when things are particularly tricky yes well they might work (laughs) sedating your baby but there are some dangerous side effects like you know stopping breathing very dangerous Mm. so we would not recommend using not in young infants no no Just to to sort of finish off today, it'd be good to sort of take a bit of a step back and sort of look more holistically. You said with mums, the most important thing is that they look after themselves um, and reach out for support. And often the first ports of call for support, apart from family, are the GP or maternal and child health nurse. Mm -hmm. What else would you say in terms of sort of, you know, overall advice when you're sort of stepping back and, and looking at the whole picture? Yeah, I think knowing that, um, again, that this is not uncommon and that a lot of parents will, you know, feel, have feelings of guilt and that's normal feeling. Um, Feelings of failure, I guess, as well. And that's also a normal feeling. But, you know, think about your baby is actually growing 
and developing um, and you're actually doing a great job. And looking after yourself is so important. As you know, postnatal depression is actually not uncommon at all, especially when you have a crying baby and when not feeling good about yourself, the baby will also not feel good about themselves. And, you know, this really important to try and break that cycle, I guess, to get some help for yourself. And that might mean going to your GP as a first port of call to just talk about, you know, your feelings and sometimes even getting professional counselling or seeing a psychologist can be very helpful. So for mums listening, Val, who might be thinking, oh, am I depressed? So, you know, is this just the baby blues or are things bigger than that? What are some of the signs that they might kind of look out for or their partner might talk with them about? And remembering also that postnatal depression can affect dads as well, not just mums. If you're very tired but you're not able to get to sleep, if you lost your appetite and you're not really wanting to eat anything, crying a lot, just feeling very down and also not enjoying your baby anymore. Mm. So, um, you know, feeling that you're not really enjoying the moment. Um, It's just hard to get pleasure from anything. That's right. It just feels really flat and Mm. black, doesn't it? Yeah, Mm. yeah. Okay. So if mums are listening, we'll pop some resources on the show notes about where you might go for help. There's some really good support lines by phone and online as well. And then, of course, your maternal child health nurse or your GP are both excellent places to start for a chat. Because I do think often we might normalise a lot of this and think, oh, it's just the baby blues. And in fact, maybe it's more than that. And it's really important to reach out and get some help. Mm -hmm. Well, Val, thank you so much. It's been a really incredibly helpful discussion. It's really interesting for me to reflect my youngest is now 11, but when we start talking like this, it comes back like it was all yesterday. But good to clarify about what we mean by an unsettled baby and just some of those really practical strategies that that new parents and mums can think about. And just as you say, how important it is to feel no shame, reach out for support and help from all the avenues open to families and parents. And again, I just want to say well done to all the new parents through COVID um, because I know it's been super challenging. I've spoken to lots of new mothers and uh, I just think, you know, well done. They can give themselves a a pat on the back. And I'd just like to finish with, I think parents, especially mums, should be kind to themselves. Absolutely. Um, As you said beautifully, they are doing a great job. It might feel that they're not moving forwards, but they are. So just thank you so much, Val, for coming today. Thank you so much for having me. Do you have any last parting words for parents listening, Val? Just remember this is a transient period. It will pass. I can assure you that. And if it doesn't pass, absolutely go and see your GP or your doctor again just to make sure. But it will pass. And in a few years' time, you re- you won't remember that anymore. <laughs> you might even go back again. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Thanks so much for being here today, Val. And to everyone out there, look after each other and stay well. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, please share it with a friend and leave us a review. Thanks for listening. Information provided in this podcast is general in nature and is intended to support, not replace, discussions with your doctor or healthcare professional. If you are concerned about your child, please consult your local healthcare professional for further advice.